Advent is a time of celebration, a celebration of expectation and all that God has done for us and all that he wants to do for us. And so, as we go into our text today, it will be a time of expectation. Pray with me. Father God, help us right now to set aside the cares of the world for just a few moments that we may focus on you and what you want to do in our midst. Thank you. In Jesus Christ. Amen. Earlier, our choir did one of my, a rendition of one of my favorite songs of all time. It's an absolutely beautiful, amazing song. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Now, we spent a good while looking at songs and how they came to be written. I'm not going to talk about the one who wrote the song today, but you may not be aware that the tune to Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee comes from no one else. When we look at this call of joy, it comes from the pen of Ludwig von Beethoven. Uh, it is Ode to Joy. It was uh, composed in 1824, and it is the final movement of his last and arguably most famous symphony, Symphony Number no. 9. I love, this is my favorite symphony by Beethoven. I listen to it as it is building and building, and when the choral comes in, uh, in all honesty, most of the time when I'm listening to this alone, I just start shouting at the end. It is absolutely amazing. Now, the premiere of the song took place in Vienna on May 7, 1824. Uh, it was under-rehearsed, under-practiced. Uh, no one was sure how it was going to go, but the audience was ecstatic. See, this was the first time that Beethoven performed in public in 12 years because of his health issues. At the end of the performance, apparently Beethoven not being able to hear the music, kept on conducting as the audience is beginning to applaud. So one of his, his soloists stopped him and turned him around so he could see the audience applauding. But they were well aware of his issues of health. They were well aware that he was now deaf. And so to absolutely make sure he knew how they felt, they began tossing their hats and their scars into the air to let him know how beautiful it was. By the time of the choral, as I said, I am absolutely enthralled by the power of the music. It is absolutely wonderful. Now, the choral is sung in German, and it's sung too fast for my, my days of old when I could translate German rather easily. So I just sit back and enjoy the voices as new other instruments. It's absolutely beautiful. But I want you to hear just a portion of what this choral says, translated into English. The cherub stands before God, gladly like the heavenly bodies which he sent on their courses through the splendor of the firmament. Thus, brothers, you should run your race like a hero going to victory. You millions, I embrace you. This kiss is for all the world. Brothers, above the starry canopy, there must dwell a loving Father. Do you fall in worship, you millions? 
world do you know your creator? Seek him in the heavens above the stars. Must he dwell? It's absolutely beautiful. A song of pure, wonderful joy. I encourage you to maybe hit YouTube sometime this week and listen to the Ninth Symphony of Beethoven and the choral Ode to Joy. Right now, we're going to look at another song of joy. A beautiful, amazing psalm, uh, Psalm 146. I will be reading from the New Living Translation today, and I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. Now, for those of you who grew up being warned about the Living Bible of the 60s, the paraphrase, this is actually a translation, and it is a good translation. So I want us to stand and listen. Then later on, I will explain why this translation. Please stand as we hear the word of the Lord. I praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, through the generations. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. And may God bless the reading of his word. The psalmist, in his opening line, vowed to praise God. He also called his people to join in that praise. We have great cause for joyful praise in a world of sorrows, as crazy and as difficult and as chaotic it may be. You and I, if we know the Lord, have reason for joy, now not happiness, And even though some translations translate the word in this text as happy, there's a connotation today of happiness is about all circumstance. We have cause for joy. But how can we have joy in a world where war is raging, where people, despots, oppress their people, where folks are living in all kinds of complete denial of who God is. Well, we're going to look at steps in this text. Steps that will help us come to the place of knowing we have joy in the Lord. And the very first thing, the very first step, I want you to hear a wonderful commitment to praise. Hear a wonderful commitment. Listen to it and understand it and try to grab hold of it for yourself. This wonderful commitment to praise made by a psalmist 
And we don't know the circumstances. We don't know when it happened in history. But he felt impelled to tell the world, I will praise my God as long as I live. You see, the psalmist shout out at his attention to praise God through the rest of his life. I don't believe this psalm begins with the man saying, I'm going to praise God for all my life. I'm going to praise God until I die. I think this is boisterous. I think this is loud. This is Beethoven's choral. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will praise God with my dying breath. Now this psalm is the first of five psalms that are known as the Hallel Psalms. They are psalms that call for Israel to praise the Lord. They end up the Psalm, book of Psalms, and they are calling people to praise God. But it's unusual in its form. Because not only does he begin with praise the Lord, which is hallelujah, which means praise ye the Lord, he includes his own personal intention to praise God with all that he is. And he uses that as a communal call to praise. He wants everybody to worship the Lord as he is worshiping. Now, we do know this psalm was used in the liturgy of Israel. They did sing this psalm, much as the songs we sang earlier. But the psalmist pledged that if praise would be his personal practice until the day he died. Folks, he's saying, I'm not just going to praise God in the temple. I'm going to praise God in my home. I'm going to praise God throughout my life, wherever I may be. I'm going to be praising God. We need to understand something. Our praise should not be limited to what happens in a church building. If all we are doing is worshiping God on Sunday, gathered with the saints, it's not what God wants. If that's all we're doing. Now, I believe in corporate praise. And I want you to be here as we worship the Lord together. But it's not all we need. You see, I have a fear. I have a fear that we block our lives off in very distinct patterns. This is my work life. This is my home life. This is my life of leisure. Uh, and that leisure may be shrinking nowadays. And this is my life for family. And then over here in the corner is my life of praise on Sundays. That's when I do my praising. And I'm going to worship God and I'm going to sing and and I'm going to do everything I know I need to do. And I know we are in a Southern Baptist church, so there's not a whole lot of shouting going on. And there's not a whole lot of boisterous worship. But Sunday is for worship. I remind you that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the promised King of Advent, often spent time alone with His Father. He withdrew from everybody else to seek His Father's will to share his father's love, to be alone with his father. Now, if our Savior, if Christ took time to enter into personal worship, if Christ took time to spend with God the Father alone, 
how could we ever begin to think the only worship I need is what happens on Sunday? I believe to truly worship the Lord requires a personal commitment on our part. In other words, with God's strength and grace, with His help, I'm committing myself every day of my life to spend a portion of that day praising God, thanking Him for who He is, asking Him to let me know Him better, filling me with a heart of love for Him every day. Every day. So I want you to listen to that call and let that call challenge you. That every day your life will be given to praising the Lord. Now the next step, I'm changing the imperative. I had a hard time understanding when I was a kid that when my parents asked, do you hear me? They weren't just asking if audible sounds came into my ears. They were saying, are you going to do what I'm telling you to do? And I'll leave it to your imaginations how that went. So I'm going to change the imperative. I'm not talking about here anymore. Today I want you to heed an exhortation to trust in God. Not only hear what He's saying to us, but then make a commitment. I am going to do this. I will trust in God. Now, the psalmist drew a very sharp contrast among possible objects of trust. A very sharp, jarring kind of object. He said that it's possible that we could put our trust in powerful men, powerful people, leaders who promise everything. And he says, don't put your trust in them. It won't help you. Now, I understand that the Word of God calls us to obey laws of the land. I understand that there have to be rulers over society. What he's saying here, do not put your absolute trust in these people. The other choice is, but joyful are those who put their hope and get their help from God. And this is why I've read from the New Living Translation. I'll talk about that more in just a second. We could decide, I am just going to trust that my government will do what I need it to do. But ultimately, people fail. Percy Bysshe Shelley uh, was a British poet, uh, some of you will be more familiar with his wife's writing, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Uh, she kind of outshone her husband in terms of popularity. But he does have a very powerful poem um, that talks about the failures. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, 
whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tells that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them, the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing besides remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Look what I've done, and all that's left is a decayed statue. We fail. But the reality, even the best of human leaders will not last forever. Did you catch what he said? When they die, what happens? Their plans die with them. So if we pledge our ultimate allegiance to people in this world, we're going to find disappointment. We may find oppression. We need to know Our ultimate trust comes in committing one's trust to the God of the covenant. And that's the absolute best choice we will ever make. You see, the world that is translated in verse 5, joyful in the NLT, is most often translated blessed. Sometimes it's translated happy. But this word means a heightened state of happiness and joy. It is joy unspeakable. It is powerful, meaningful joy. And thus the translation of the NLT. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. We will be blessed. We will be joyful if God is at the center of our existence. You see, we have a choice to make every day of our lives. Every day you wake up, and it may not be a conscious choice you're making, but it is a choice that you will make. Whom will we ultimately serve? To whom will we ultimately pledge our allegiance? When I get up in the morning, and I'm, am I just surrounded by me? I am the one I will serve. I am the one. I will do whatever I need to do to make my life meaningful. Will we serve those who would use us and abuse us? Will we serve the Lord God Almighty? And in the end, folks, we must choose wisely the source of our help. We need to be wise about this. Most of us in this room, if not all of us, are professing Christians. And the only one that we legitimately can say is Lord, is our God. Augustine of Hippo, his book, The Confessions, one of the most honest books you will ever read. I'm rereading it again. It is a classic of Christian devotion used by people from all different types of faith. But he asks a question. Why persist in walking difficult and toilsome paths? There is no repose 
where you are seeking it. Search as you like, it is not where you are looking. You are seeking a happy life in the realm of death, and it will not be found there. How could life be happy where there is no life at all? He who is our very life came down and took our death upon himself. He slew our death by his abundant life and summoned us in a voice of thunder to return to him in his hidden place, that place from which he set out to come to us when first he entered the virgin's womb. There a human creature, mortal flesh, wedded to him that he might not remain mortal forever. And from there he came forth like a bridegroom from his nuptial chamber, leaping with joy like a giant to run his course. Impatient of delay, he ran, shouting by his deeds, his words, his death and his life, and his ascension into heaven, shouting his demand that we return to him. I hate to go from Augustine to country music, but remember that old song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? Many people are looking for joy everywhere but where it can be found. I believe that there is nothing less than a walk with the God of the covenant, the redeemer of our souls, the blessed one who died in our place can fill our hearts with glorious joy. We can praise. We can have joy because of the God we serve. The God we serve and the God we trust. So heed that call. Trust in the Lord. You may not always understand what he's doing, but trust that what he is doing is to make you into the person he's called you to be. And then finally, again, I keep that imperative of command. Heed the call for joyful praise of our King. As the psalmist draws all of this to a close, He has said, I'm going to praise God with all that I am. He ends the psalm. Praise ye the Lord. All of you, join in this praise, join in this joy, join in this life. He's calling them all to come and adore Him and love the Lord and serve the Lord. And He doesn't just say this. He called all of his people to praise and then gave them reasons why they should. I used to have a book on my show called Praise the Lord Anyway. And it basically said, uh, if things go bad, if things go good, uh, praise the Lord anyway. If you're on stage, right now I fall down the steps and all of you are freaked out, I'm I'm supposed to stand up and say, praise the Lord anyway didn't like that book. The reason I didn't like that book was that word anyway. Because that suggests that God somehow didn't love me in that moment, but I will praise Him even if He didn't. If He didn't take care of me, if He didn't rescue me, I'll praise Him. No, praise the Lord. And this is what the psalmist said. He is the God who has created everything. And guess what? We're part of everything. He is the God who has created us. He is the God, he says, who is faithful to all of his promises. Again, those promises, he may answer in a different way than we expect. 
But the Word of God says every promise that God has made is yes in Jesus Christ. And we can trust Him. He is the God who has promised a deliverer. And the coming King of Advent sets prisoners free. Jesus was once talking to a group of people and he said that they could find freedom in him. And he said, but we're children of Abraham. We don't need to be freed. And then he let them know, no, you need freedom. And he ended his conversation with John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. And all of us in this room have something within our life that crabs hold of us. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside the sin which does so easily beset. Uh, The sin that cries out to you, come on, we'll have some fun, may not be the sin that cries out to me. But we all have weaknesses and the enemy will try to take advantage of that. But God is saying, Christ is saying, I can give you true freedom if you'll trust me. And I can show you a way to victory. 1 Corinthians 10.13 There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to God, uh, to man. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Jesus said, I will set you free. This promised king will open the eyes of the blind. John the Baptist, and this is one of those intriguing moments in Scripture, John the Baptist, when he was a baby in his mother's womb, leapt with joy when Mary and the baby in her womb came into his presence. Later on, he points Jesus out to a group of his disciples and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He baptizes Jesus reluctantly at first because he said, "Yeah, you need to be baptized me. And he said, you need to do this to fulfill God's purpose. And he heard the voice of God coming down from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When his disciples were complaining that Jesus was getting more popular than he was, John said, he must increase and I must decrease. But then one day John winds up in jail. And he's facing death. And he knows it. And he's confused. He's filled with doubt. Jesus, the Lamb, was not doing what he expected him to do. And so he sent some messengers to Jesus with one question. Are you the one or do we look for another? Listen what Jesus said to them in Matthew 11. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk. Those who slept with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. He gives rest to the weary. And it's about this time of year, most of us get pretty weary. Just because of the hectic pace of the Christian Christmas season. But listen, Jesus speaking to those who know pain, who know weariness. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.
I will give you what you need to face those burdens. I will give you what you need to overcome. You see, our God is a God who cares and provides for the downfallen. And our King, the psalmist says, will reign forever. Back in the 70s, Barry McGuire produced a Christian album called Cosmic Cowboy. Yeah. And I'm going to warn you, those of you who are of uh, English rules kind of mindset, please forgive. Uh, McGuire was part of the Jesus movement, so he's not really concerned about grammar rules. So listen to the song and, and what he had to say. All them kings don't last too long, they just come and go. All them stars shine for a while, then they lose their glow. My king will live forever. My king will never die. My king is with me every day. My king's a love that won't run dry. All them flowers fade and die, mountains wear away. All them oceans will run dry. Clouds will turn to clay. My king will live forever. My king will never die. My king is with me every day. My king's a love that won't run dry. If all the love the world could give were placed inside my heart, I'd be as empty as a hollow moon that never got a start. My king's love that lives forever. My king's a love that never dies. My king's a love that's with me every day. My king's a love that won't run dry. My king will live forever. My king will never die. My king is with me every day. My king's a love that won't run dry. In the midst of all the craziness of this world and all the struggles we face, all the difficulties that come into life, my friends, we have all the reason in the world to be joyful in praise. In spite of whatever is happening, we have reason to have joy and to praise the Lord. Yes, life can be filled with frightening and uncertain moments. But life in the promised King, we belong to Him. And belonging to Him, we have a life that is filled with meaning. We have Grace, we have strength for our weaknesses, love, undying, perfect love. And all of that brings us joy. So while facing this world of uncertainty, let us take joy in the one who will forever remain true. Let's heed this call. And take this joy. J.I. Packer said that joy is not an accident of or an unpredictable providence. Now listen to this. Joy is a matter of choice. Whom will we serve? Whom will we trust? Whom will we praise? So as the hectic pace of life the Christmas season marches on. Let us be careful to attend 
the craziness of this world with joy. Let us make a commitment to joyfully praise God each day we live. Let us be certain to give our trust to the God who watches over us and will love us and keep us. And let us actually follow through with the commitment to praise God fully. I've told you before as a preacher boy in Northeast Texas, ripe old age of 16, I was licensed to preach. There was a period where I was walking the aisle almost every Sunday. So much under conviction. So much under conviction. And I just, you know, my pastor would preach and it seemed like I was the only one he was looking at. And if he pointed a finger, it was right at my nose. And I was walking every Sunday. There came a moment in time when the Lord got a hold of my heart and said, Danny, instead of walking Sunday after Sunday making a commitment, how about Monday you follow the commitment? How about Tuesday? You follow the commitment. That is the call we have in our personal times of praise, in our corporate acts of praise. Let us be filled with Advent joy. Just for fun. As you're walking through the mall or Walmart or Target or wherever you shop, ask the Lord to fill you with joy. And as you walk through the place, Just tell people, Merry Christmas. Just tell people that God is love. We need to be praising God.